Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott, where we explore the early days of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and gain rare historical insights into how a young farm boy was able to establish a new church and grow it by way of visions, manifestations, and miracles. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard Leduc. Hi, Garrett. Uh, in this, well, in last week's podcast, we left you with an absolute cliffhanger, like a Perry Mason murder she wrote to be continued. Right. Where we said we will talk about um, the Boston Tea Party. <laughs> I don't know why this is comical. I don't know why it is either. Richard's clearly not a patriot and needs to be uh, re-educated. So, 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 but that wasn't that wasn't enough. Garrett threw in one additional tidbit on the declining population of Montpelier, Vermont, and and uh, assuming that none of you have the internet and could have immediately looked that up, we apologize that you waited a week for us to get to that. What was the result? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a declining population. Um, in 2019, uh, the population of Montpelier was just under 7,500. Now it's just under 7,200. But in the greater Montpelier area, it's as high as 8,000. So it's just all so, freeway then. That well, yeah, it's trees. All, it's all freeway trees. And uh, you know, during the day, um, it, it balloons to 21,000. As people come in going to work, all yeah. the government offices. Ab- there. Absolutely. Yeah. So right. that's that's how we're starting this uh, podcast. Yeah. Is right. giving you some Montpelier stats. Yeah, I you're think, welcome, I, Gina. I you we, already know that. Well, we, I think we needed to capture the Vermont market, especially the 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 Montpelier market. Absolutely, it's, and if it's we, bustling. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like between Rachel's mom, Gina, and you know. I don't know. That's the list. Yeah, that's it. I mean, when I don't blame him, we started this podcast with a to be continued on the, you know, the population of Montpelier. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so we wanted to talk about a little bit about um, uh, American uh, ideology and especially this idea of uh, what well, we spoke in the last podcast about this idea of religious freedom and trying to talk about we have this understanding of kind of these things within America, um, but that there's. You have, in the case of Missouri, two groups, one both believing that they're whole, uh, you know, upholding this American ideal, but they're, they're absolutely fighting against each other. Well, at least yeah, one and, side and is. we we apparently in a in a in a in a, a tease that you thought was not very powerful said that we would talk about the Boston Tea Party, um, as an example. So let's let's talk about it now. I'm going to be briefly going over this. Um, I, I obviously, I'm not gonna be able to cover everything in detail. Um, the Boston, uh, <clears throat> the American revolution, just to kind of, you know, set everything, you know, the first battles over in 1775 and, uh, the declaration of independence comes in seven, uh, 1776, as everybody knows, but we need to kind of go back, um, to, to briefly cover this. Apparently 
The problem is you can't actually ever ask a historian to briefly that's, cover that's, anything. That's what I was saying. Yeah. So when Garrett, so we're gonna we're gonna briefly we're just gonna set some we're gonna provide some context. We're gonna briefly go back. We're gonna start with Gilgamesh and Mesopotamia. Twenty seven hundred. We need to briefly go back. Uh, there was a man named Columbus who thought that he could reach the Indies by sailing west. I mean, uh, but I do need to go back to seventeen sixty three. So you know, roughly twelve years before the violence erupts. Uh, and, and, and only 10 years before the Boston Tea Party. Why, why do I need to do that? Well, to demonstrate this, this, um, power of American ideology. So in 1763, that is the end of the seven years war or what is commonly called on the American continent, the French and Indian war. Um, this is, uh, 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 worldwide struggle. I mean, it really is a world war. I mean, they fight battles in India, they fight battles in the Caribbean, they fight in Europe, and they fight in multiple places in North America. And the the end result of this is that the French are... I'm sorry, I'm sorry Richard. But the, <laughs> this is going to come as a news to you, but the French lose. Yes. And, well, and, and in addition, as we're about to speak poorly of the British, I'm sure... A trigger warning to my British sister-in-law. Very sorry. I mean, I don't mean to. I mean, I, I'm just relating what the colonists said. No, we yeah. just, no. It's it's important to the the French listeners, to the all all of the British listeners. I mean, we have like 17 people in Switzerland who listen. Yeah, that is the weirdest thing. They couldn't care less about what we're about to talk oh about. Oh my gosh, but, no. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, now the Montpelier stuff. I'm sure they were on pins and needles. Well, they also like a good antique store, <laughs> as well as the next man. I mean. <laughs> They might be Swiss, but they're not made of stone. That's you correct. Know? Yeah. But um, uh, the the end result is, while the, the British and the French have fought multiple wars over their possessions in North America, the the, the domination of the Seven Years' War is is complete. When the, when the British win, they crush the French. Now, they don't do so hot very early on. And they, they get a new... Uh, uh, prime minister and they they essentially spend all kinds of money to outspend the french in order to to win this war and so when they win they the both the colonists and many people in britain demand that the french are completely driven from north america so Richard has French Canadian uh, answers. When did your French Canadian ancestors come? Is we were driven from France in 1690. Seemed, so, so <laughs> you were you were driven from France. Why? Well, I mean, you've met me. I don't yeah. know. The, my, I'm sure my ancestors were very similar, similarly obnoxious. I don't. I don't know exactly why they were kicked out. But, but you have the feeling that they were kicked out, not just immigrated. I don't know. I mean. But again, because you've met you, yeah, I've met yeah. me. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with sense. my work. Yeah. I am familiar. <laughs> so they were. From, I knew what he was when we picked him they up. They were from Lyon, and uh, they moved to uh, outside of Montreal in about 1690. And then we. Do you did, know if they were Calvinists? Is that why? I have no idea. I, I we have no record actually as to that. Uh, I would love to actually. Well, find so out. some some Calvinists. So again, um, in order to make this podcast less important than the townships one. In France during the wars of religion in the 1500s and 1600s, um, 
eventually, of course, the the the, the Catholic Church is going to get the upper hand, the, the and the the monarchy, which is supported by the church, and the Calvinist groups are often severely persecuted, and 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 many of them flee to to North America and other places in order to escape. So maybe maybe you're uh, descended from religious zealots. <laughs> or people who just wanted to live where it was cold year round and, and do some fur trapping in, yeah. in northern the Quebec. Courier de Bois. Yes. So anyway, so they yeah they they migrated over there, and then we've been slowly leaking across the uh, the northern. That border. was your. It was his long term <laughs> game plan to get into the United States, into Wisconsin, the United States and Minnesota. The United States didn't exist, but that was still your game plan. Was always our plan. Yeah, How we, could we get to Layton, Utah? If we could get from Quebec to Layton, Utah. <laughs> We will have a success. So, um, at any rate, uh, when did they come? What year? So 1692 1690. to Canada. Yeah. Okay. So, so the, the, the French population of Canada is, is not very big at the time, uh, in the French, you know, Canadian places, but it's, you know, still several thousand, you know, people. And suddenly all of the French territory, which stretched from New Orleans in the south all the way along the Mississippi River, all the way up into what is, you know, today Montana, all the way up to the, to, to Hudson's Bay, um, uh, and 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 Quebec in 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 Canada, all of that was French territory. Well, at the end of the Seven Years' War, the British take all of it. The land that is west of the Mississippi River, if you're if you're envisioning a map here, the land west of the Mississippi River, the French have already kind of secretly given it to Spain, who was their ally in the war. And so at the end of, of 1763, Britain has had their greatest imperial victory of the, the history of, of the empire, right? You 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 can't have had. There are just millions of uh, of acres of land that are added. All of the interior, essentially, uh, of uh, what is today the United States and Canada is all taken by Britain. And they fought multiple wars with France over control of those areas. Uh, there are several wars, like the Queen Anne's War, uh, the War of Jenkins' Ear, which is probably. Yours and my favorite war between France and uh, England and Spain. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, uh, Jenkins ear. You said yes. Jenkins yeah, that's, ear. That's the yes. one. Yeah, that's cool. uh, the idea behind it is that a an English sea captain refused to doff his colors of his boat in in obsolescence to the. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Just, you're doing this with a flair. Right? Well, yeah. No one can see my hand waving, but my hand is waving. Um, in, in obedience to, to demonstrate their uh, their recognition of Spanish superiority, the English ships were supposed to kind of doff their, their colors when they were in Spanish America. Tip of the cap and they're on their way. Tip of the cap, yep. And, um, and they refused to, and there was a conflict, and the supposedly the Spanish sea captain cut off the captain Jenkins ear. And so that's what causes the war. Okay. There you go. The war of Jenkins ear. And then, you know, I think the the ear then becomes like a trophy piece. And really we need to look up and find out what happens to that ear. Um, at, at any rate, the, in 1763, the, uh, 
the, so the British are riding high. They have, they have f- driven France completely from North, uh, North America. They've also secured many of their other colonies all over the, all over the world. And you might wonder then, how is it you go from this, you, you go from having all of American, the American colonies relatively united from that war and their opposition to France to 10 years later, bursting at the seams and being ready to, to go to war with their mother country in in the American revolution. And this, the, it, it is really this war over certainly economics, but a lot of it is based upon ideology. So, the problem that that England has after after uh, the French are driven from North America is the French had many alliances with Native American groups. Rather than conquering in most places, the French simply established trading posts and 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 worked together with Native Americans to trap furs, and that was primarily what their their empire was about. So that what that meant was if there was a, you know war that a, a certain American Indian group made on the English colonies that they could always use the French as a kind of an intermediary. Hey, can you talk to your 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 people here? They're they're uh, they're attacking us. What can we do to negotiate? And suddenly that mediating factor is gone. Um, the British find themselves with this huge swath of territory, and the only way that they could possibly maintain it is by tripling, quadrupling, quintupling in North America. The only hope they have is to put so many uh, so many troops in colonies that it kept the colonies safe from these potential uh, Native American attacks. The problem is, uh, then as now, militaries are incredibly expensive. So how are they going to pay for all of these troops that they're that they are now occupying North America with? The in 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 Britain, they are kind of in a financial crisis. They're in a financial crisis because they have spent the whole reason they won the war is they spent so much money on it. Well, now they're in all kinds of debt. And to add to that debt, you have this gigantic expense of paying for all of the troops that you're keeping in North America. Okay, we've got a cracks uh, research staff here at the Standard we, of we, Truth we podcast. Have, we, we have spared no expense. So, By that I mean we have Wi-Fi in my house. <laughs> we have spared all of the expense. Well, we have no – our operating budget is zero. It's <laughs> true. Um, so, uh, just a quick, quick, a quick, a quick, uh, <laughs> a quick research. Um, f- we discovered what happened uh, to Robert Jenkins' ear. So, um, brief. It's taken. I can't believe it's taken to the king. Isn't it? I can't. Well, so I can't believe that I forgot this because, as you know, I subscribe and a regular, and I'm a regular reader of uh, Florida Historical Quarterly. Ah, yes. Yes, and so it was in an older it was in an older quarterly um, publication, 1958, um, and um, so what happened is is they they cut off Robert Jenkins' ear. Right. Well, you better doff your colors. You you, you better doff them, <laughs> and they handed it to him, 
And then they said, you, you, you almost called this. He said, they said, take this to your king yep. and tell him if he were here, I would do the same to him. Well, that is. Well, now, if, that, if we would call them those, ain't fighting yeah, words. Yeah, we would call those fighting words, actually. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, I, I apologize uh, for, for not remembering the 1958 Florida Historical uh, Quarterly. Yeah, I, I feel like at some point we're going to have to replace you. With someone <laughs> who's up on their Florida Historical Quarterly. And uh, I mean, it, it, it's only a natural progression. Yeah, at and, this point. and properly pronounced quick. Yeah, quick, quick, very quickly. Uh, I think, again, that's probably the French Canadian coming it through. It is. That's yeah. how we say it back home. Yeah, well, it, it, it's. It, and by back home, I mean unincorporated Canyon County. I yeah, know. so I think, yeah, your, your, your British sister in law needs to recognize that. While we will eventually be talking about Americans fighting the British. Right now, she's loving it. Right now, we're talking about the French being crushed by the British. Yeah. So, I mean. No, there's nothing <laughs> that she loves more than this part. The, yeah, this is the best part. Yeah, it is. At any rate, um, uh, the, the, in order to raise funds to both pay for their war debt and to defend the colonies against, you know, uh, the, their the really to prevent the colonists from fighting Native Americans because the colonists are constantly encroaching on Native American land. There are a series of tacts that are, are passed. The, the first of these that kind of sets things in motion is the Stamp Act, okay? The Stamp Act, you, I'm sure you've heard about it. It causes all kinds of... The, the, the idea behind it is every piece of official paper, as well as playing cards, and um, you had to pay a government stamp in order to have that. It was not a, a, a very onerous um, amount of money. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to decide between, you know, do I buy milk or do I put the stamp on my taxes? You know, that you're coming kind of, off as a real King George apologist here. I really, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 when I, when I watch anything about him, I'm always like, I hope he wins this time. Um, but, uh, <laughs> It wasn't, it was, but it wasn't a big deal because I think part of what we think about when we think about the American Revolution is we assume, and, and you hear politicians say this all the time, that the reason why the revolution took place was the English were just taxing us and taxing us and taxing us until we, we said, that's it. I can't take it anymore. I can't afford to pay, which, which by the way, is the reason why many revolutions happen all throughout the world. The French revolution really is to a point where many in the French populace are not able to feed themselves with the amount of taxes that they're paying. And so if you're going to die anyway, well, might as well revolt. Well, the idea of, of much foreign policy sanctions is around creating a situation domestic disturbances that's right yeah. where the and, people will take care of it themselves and if the fbi is listening and transmission <laughs> um but uh, uh the <laughs> there there are people arresting richard now <laughs> um uh, for advocating regime change in other countries well that'd be the cia though well oh you're right yeah well they they might i i'm sure that they could probably they probably contract out I'm sure that they do. I'll, <laughs> they let, I'll let you know. Yeah, well, we'll find out yeah, soon. that's right. Uh, you won't get a phone call. Um, the Stamp Act, there's all kinds of protests against it. Uh, the, the stamp collectors, that they are burned in effigy, which if someone makes a pretty correct version of you and they hang it outside of uh, your house, 
um, on a pole and set it on fire and are chanting, we're going to do this to you. I'm going to call in sick. Yeah, it's going to make you not want to collect the taxes. So they, they, re- they repeal the Stamp Act and then they try a different type of tax. It's important to understand back in the day in America, There's no such thing as an income tax, okay? Income tax is very late. The idea that you're being taxed on the amount of money you make is, you know, that that comes about in the progressive era in America, in the early 20th century. There are all kinds of taxes, but the types of taxes are property taxes and they are import taxes, tariffs, essentially. So... Well, no, you just hit something as my absolute favorite topic. Oh, I, so I, I said the word tariff. Whenever you say the word tariff, Richard, you know, his ears prick up and he's, you know, like, a, oh, wow. No, my gosh, yeah, Japanese, Japanese rice tariffs my yes. favorite topic. Yeah, Richard loves to talk about rice tariffs. It's his, it's his favorite economic disparity. It absolutely um, is. As a quick aside, Garrett, what do you think? I know, I think you actually know the answer. What do you think the, the average uh, Japanese rice tariff is? I, I'm I'm gonna say a hundred percent because I know you wanted me to be wrong. Yeah, I do. You you guessed incorrectly. Oh, currently seven hundred and seventy eight percent. Wow, I know. It's, yeah. it's in order to maintain Japanese rice production at home. Absolutely, so there, there are tariffs there. But unlike a tariff that's designed to try to foster manufacturing at home, these tariffs were designed for the purpose of raising funds. So look. Tariffs have always existed. English colonists were paying for tariffs all throughout the time of their, their early colonial history. But they were they were paying for tariffs because they saw that as a way of England regulating their the empire. We're going to charge you money for sugar that you import from an, a French island because that hurts the French. Right, because they can't sell their. The French are taking a beating in this episode, but we are talking about England, so uh, uh, or France in any war. But the um, the uh, uh, the idea behind those tariffs are not primarily to raise money, although they do raise money. The idea primarily is we want to help the English sugar islands by buying their sugar. So if the French try to sell it cheaper, well, we're gonna we're gonna undercut. The Townshend duties were very different. They were clearly designed just to raise money. It was the government trying to, and so they, they put taxes on things like lead, tea, paint, glass, paper, other manufactured goods. Why, why specifically these goods? Well, because these were goods that were almost not at all made in the American colonies. So you can't be like, well, I guess I'll just go manufacture my own tea. You know, good luck growing tea in in New Hampshire. I mean, you can ask Father Smith how growing ginseng goes in in New England. You know, I mean, the the reality is that you're not going to be able to grow tea in any considerable amount in, in that climate, right? So they're specifically taxing things that have to be imported from the colonists. And this causes a huge reaction, just like the Stamp Act did. Because the argument that the colonists are making is you don't have the authority to tax us. Why don't you have the authority? Because in England, you levy taxes through the House of Commons. Because you have 
representation in the parliament, that makes those taxes legitimate. The people vote on the person, and then that person levies the tax. So it's the consent of the governed. Well, there are no parliamentary representatives in the American colonies in, in North America, even though there are millions of colonists in North America. There's more people living in England than in North America at the time. It's, it's, not like there's, it's, it's not like it is today where there's a disparity in population the other way around. But there is no representation from the parliament in, uh, uh, from coming from the American colonies. Now, of course, it wasn't the same way it is today where it was, you know, the broken up into congressional districts where this covers a certain geographical area. England is not yet to that point in their development of their parliamentary system. So there actually are in England entire giant cities that don't have a parliamentary representative for them in the commons. So they don't see the Americans not having one as big a deal. Like, well, Leeds doesn't have one. Why do you need one? So how, I mean, how much, I mean, even with a, some sort of parliament, the king still has a significant amount of power to, or or not. It. I mean, his power has been kind of on the wane ever since the 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 glorious revolution and the English Revolution, which would be you know two completely unrelated podcasts, would not involve anyone's ear, but still, um, it you know the monarchical power is on the wane. It's still powerful, but the king can't do anything without money. And the only way he can get money is if parliament raises that money. Um, so they these taxes are endorsed by the king. Yeah, we need to raise money. Why shouldn't the colonies at least pay for their own defense? We have troops there for them. Well, they should at least pay for them. And they can pay for them through these import duties. Now, of course... The problem with these import duties is they raise the prices of things. So, you know, paint has an import tax. So now if I'm going to paint my house, paint's already very expensive, which is why many houses aren't painted because paint's so expensive. Well, now it's even more expensive because I have to pay this tax on the imported paint. I want glass in my windows. Well, now I have to pay even more for them. And so the colonists really cried out and said, this is taxation without representation. Um, you you are uh, uh, are taking money from us and rather than us consenting to it. The idea of we have the ability, as long as we're represented, then we can say, you're right, it does make sense to raise money here. You know, it's not that colonists didn't believe in taxes. They, they were all parts of colonies that funded themselves through taxes. But they all had representative governments where they elected people in the House of Burgesses in, in Virginia. Those how, members of the House of Burgess voted for taxes, and then you had taxes. But what England was doing by raising these import taxes was creating taxes without any representation. That's the reason why you get that, that call during the time of the American Revolution of taxation without representation. You can't tax someone who doesn't have the ability to have a say in what you're doing. That was the argument. Um, for England, they, they didn't really think it was that big of, of an argument. Um, to get an idea of what's going on um, here, let's take an examination of 
of tea. Um, the Townshend duties are going to place a three pence a pound tax on tea. This is going to be far more boring than any township thing you've ever. Yeah, I know this is. Yeah, this is. This will put us right on the brink. Townshend duties. The Townshend duties. Yeah, Townshend well, ta- is Townsend duties. Is usually how it's pronounced, okay. but but it's spelled with shend. But usually they they don't say. It, but okay, just so if someone's trying to look it up, I'm mispronouncing it. Other <laughs> <laughs> people gonna look it up. Uh, I, we, I, if, for, for the price of uh, of 18th century tea, we only want you to come to one place here yes, at the Standard yeah, of Truth yeah, podcast. If you're trying to find out, if you're wondering, I you know what I you know what's really been affecting my testimony lately? How much did tea cost? Um, but, well, yeah, the price of tea and well, the colonies. Yeah, that's what you need to know. So anyway, um, the 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 just a, here's an economic breakdown of of how this works. Almost all of the tea that that is supplied to the American colonies is produced in in, in India. Well, India is not exactly right next to uh, the American colonies. So that means that for that tea to both be produced and then shipped and sold in the American colonies, there is a ton of transport involved. There's a bunch of middlemen. There's, you know, there, you know, I, I sell it to this company who then sells it to this company. By the time it gets to my little shop in Montpelier, Vermont, which will eventually be an antique shop, it has been, it, it, there have been multiple increases to the price in order for everyone along the way to make money. So tea that is produced in India has to be sold for around 28 cents a pound in order for everyone involved to make, uh, uh, sorry, 28 pence a pound in order for everyone involved to make a profit. Okay. So 28 pence. Well, England, in order to raise money, had already established a tax on tea of tea that's being imported to England. There was an eight pence per pound import tax on tea. Okay, so the cost of tea when it first hit the consumers is roughly 36 pence a pound. Okay, so that's what you'd be paying as a consumer in England if you got it at the bargain rate prices, is that there's this eight pence a pound um, import tax. The Townshend duties placed an additional... so, so, So that had been in place for a long time. So already... Americans were were paying this tax. They were paying this eight cents a pound tax because all tea imported to England or the English colonies was paying this eight pence a pound tax. Can you help provide a frame of reference to kind of what a pence is? Although, also, by the way, seventeen ninety one, our crack research staff just messaged me. Um, One hundred and thirteen people living in Montpelier in seventeen ninety one. Um, which is roughly the same. It's as real. Now. It's about yeah. the same as it is now. Yeah. But so, so a pence is probably is, Gina's ancestors. <laughs> a pence is, is about, well, there are 240 pence in each pound. So if you're trying to figure out, you know, how many pounds did your average person make? So, all right. So you've got, you know, it's pretty, it's, it's, you know, there, this is way a, worse than townships, by the way. Oh, it's yeah. No, we're going to just sink into it. I, I think that so you Maybe have. We're really trying to grow that, you know, English <laughs> econo- economist, uh, you know, part of our. So fan in the base. 1770s ish, 1780s ish, that uh, kind of a general laborer would make around 20 pounds in a year. Somebody that's a little more educated would make around, you know, a more. 
highly sought occupation might make 40 a french chef would make 60 so so let's put you know you had to throw the french chef in i there. did have yeah. to throw that in there but so let's say it's about 40 pounds in a year that's about 9600 pence yes. per year in in income so when we're talking about an 8 pence increase um, you have average tea consumption at around 3 cups per day um, and so for the average person they would consume roughly what is that about seven ish pounds of tea per per year, year. Um, now you're gonna have that be higher than that because you have family that's drinking the tea so it's more than just the particular individual but it's but so per individual it's about half a percent increase in price for their average tea consumption for the year right so per person people are certainly spending money on tea but the taxes are not so onerous that people are not drinking tea anymore. Right. Right. So Americans are paying that tax because there's already been a law established for a long time that when tea is imported into England, there's that eight pence a pound tax on it that gets passed right onto the consumers. Right. So now tea costs more, but the towns and duties, they placed an additional tax on tea that was coming to the United States from England because the goal was to raise extra money from the colonies. So while the colonists hadn't protested the fact that there was a tax on tea at all, they very much protested the fact that there was a tax on tea that was coming to them personally because the tea obviously would already be a little bit more expensive because of transit travel and things like that. The additional amount of that tax is three more pence per pound. So, so the amount is actually stunningly small, given the, the total price that people are already paying. But what it means is your American is your average American's paying around 39 pence a pound for tea because of, of, of the Townsend duties. It, it's not an enormous amount. People are still able to do it, but but it causes all kinds of of, of boycotts. It causes all kinds of, of, of frustrations. And these frustrations, again, we're fast forwarding through most of history here. And most of the history we've given you has been either false or found on Google. <laughs> and, um, uh, there's a protest outside of the customs office in Boston in, in, in 1770. Um, the, the customs house was where those import duties were collected. I mean, look, the, the English government wasn't just saying like, don't worry, we, we're sure you're good for it. I guess you'll give it to us when after you sell it. No, like all, uh, uh, you know, people who are purchasing things that have import taxes, you pay the tax to the government up front. And then you pass that tax on to your consumer. And the government doesn't really care whether or not you set you, uh, uh, uh end up selling it or not. I mean, they've already got their tax, you know, so it is, it is, you know, taxes are a real upfront problem for, for businesses, but they, they protest around the, the, the Boston, uh, customs house, because it's there that this tax is being collected. This unfair tax, this, this tax that is, um, uh, is illegitimate. In fact, what becomes very, very, Vogue is to highlight the fact that even though you are, you know, a good British citizen, that you're drinking 
smuggled tea. Tea that comes from uh, the Dutch uh, islands where, where tea is being, again, I'm going to throw Dutch. If you can say French chef, I can say Dutch islands. And um, uh, they, they, they're smuggling in that tea, which is 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 cheaper. Now, there it, 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 it's, there's, there's obviously middlemen and things like that, but because there are no taxes, that smuggled tea ends up being cheaper. So if I don't want, if I want to be ideologically pure, though also breaking the law, as a, as a British colonist, I can eschew the English tea because you know what? I'm not paying that three pence a pound tax. That is an unfair tax that I was not represented for taxation without representation. So therefore I will, I will, I'll get rid of it. Right. Well, um, the, the, the problem, uh, arises when the English government responds to the Boston massacre, the Boston massacre, there, there are five colonists killed. There are six that are wounded the 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 english government has for the first time essentially fired on these these people protesting these taxes and the people in that 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 fire the guns are put on trial in the colonies and england very much wants to de-escalate things at this point so they actually repeal all of the taxes on lead and glass and paper and paint but they don't want to repeal all the taxes. The reason why they don't want to repeal all the taxes is they don't want to send a message that these temper tantrum colonists in, 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 in America have the ability to just protest and get what they want. No, we have a right. I mean, they keep saying, that, oh, you can't tax us without our representation. Well, if we get rid of all the taxes, then we're kind of admitting that they're right. So we have to leave at least any tax there as a symbol. And so they leave the tax on tea in, in place. It's still there uh, after the, the, the Boston massacre. Things are, are you know, kind of, you know, there's a small period of detente where things seem to be lessening of tensions there. And then something happens, which often happens in history. The, the, Actions of the government to try to do one thing actually had repercussions that you wouldn't be able to foresee. In 1773, England passes the Tea Act. Now, you might be thinking, oh, no, didn't they learn from the Boston Massacre, the Tea Act? Oh, my goodness. Why would they try to raise taxes on tea again? They already have a tax on tea. The Tea Act actually does something completely different. The East India Company, which is this you know, semi-private corporation that which has conquered most of India and that has its own armies and fights its own wars, but is essentially the original too big to fail corporation. It's in some serious financial straits in um in in its business dealings. And so the parliament comes to its rescue. Much like the government, you know, came to help, you know, GM and Chrysler because those are such massive corporations with their manufacturing jobs. Some people said, we can't let GM fail as a company. We need domestic car production. So we have to support them with loans or whatever. That's, that's what the arguments were. 
Well, the problem for the East India Company is while they have so much expenditure, they 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 they, they, they are in debt and they spend so much money to maintain their little you know empire there in India. The only real assets they have is a bunch of tea, all kinds of tea. Get tea everywhere, right? Well, if you if you put all that tea on the market all at once, well then it's going to really drive down the prices of tea. So how can we make it so that more people are willing to buy this tea to get money to the British East India Company? Well, that's what the Tea Act does. The Tea Act drops the the 8 pence per pound import duty to England. So you're no longer paying that 8 pence a pound. It drops the, the price of tea considerably because you're no longer paying that import tax. But it maintains that three pence a pound import tax on tea going to America. Now, because a huge portion of the taxes, essentially, you know, three quarters of the taxes have been dropped from tea and they're flooding the market with that tea, the prices of, of tea in America and in England plummets. You're flooding the market with it, first of all, and it's now no longer being taxed the way that it once was, all in a bid to try to raise revenue to save the company. So those things surrounding it all will make tea go from being around 39 pence a pound in America to being around 20 pence per pound in America. The the price of tea is essentially cut in half. You would think that American colonists would be overjoyed with this, right? Um, I I remember when I was teaching this at the University of Colorado because it was a school where my students enjoyed uh, the adult beverage. Um, I would say, you know, what would happen if the government passed a law that cut the price of alcohol in America in half tomorrow, right? How many people would be out in the streets protesting it? But since we have a, a primarily Latter-day Saint audience or a very angry and confused non-Latter-day Saint audience, <laughs> um, what? W- let me give another example of, of gas prices. Let's say that, that tomorrow there was an executive order given, not passed through Congress, but an executive order that slashed the cost of, of gasoline in the United States by half. You know, you went from paying four fifty a gallon to, to $2 a gallon. How many people would be angry about that? And before you answer, is your car's tank on empty? Go find out, first of all, you know, think about it. W- would you be angry? I'm sure there would be people who would say, well, this isn't right. You should be doing this through Congress and not through executive order. But that person would still be filling up their tank at $2 a gallon, right? I mean... The reality is what people usually want when you're talking about consumers is they just want it to be cheaper. But the the American colonists saw the Tea Act as an essentially an attempt to trick them into buying the now ridiculously cheap English tea. Before the Tea Act, an American colonist could just at least their shopkeeper would tell them, no, no, this is Dutch tea. You're not paying that tax. Don't worry. It's Dutch tea. It's, you know, 28 cents a pound, whatever. But now 
The colonies are being flooded with this incredibly cheap tea, but still has that illegitimate three pence per pound tax on it. So this is what leads to that, that Boston, what leads to the Boston Tea Party. What leads to it is Americans, you know, American patriots saying, if the tea on those ships is unloaded, if it makes its way into market, well, then how will we ever track it? I mean, you know, tea looks like tea. In fact, to demonstrate this, I would often with my students hand out tea that was from what is today Indonesia, which was the Dutch East Indies at the time, and tea that's from India, which was where the, the English were getting their tea from, and ask my students if they can tell the difference. Even the most prolific tea drinkers are essentially guessing. They, they can't tell that because tea is tea is tea is tea. And it's not like flavored tea or whatever. It's just regular black tea. Um, so once that, that stuff's offloaded, you don't have the ability to trace it anymore. You don't know where it's going to be. So that's the reason why the protest culminates in going to the ships themselves and dumping this very expensive commodity, right, into the harbor because that was the only way you could prevent the tax, the illegitimate tax, from being paid. Once it's landed, once it passes through the customs house, the tax is already paid. And and that means if you can't tell the difference, you might be paying an illegitimate tax. So you often hear people talking about the Boston Tea Party as Oh, uh, you know what? Americans got so fed up with these taxes. The taxes were just so high that they revolted. Instead, what's really going on is that the, the, the British government has taken actions to dramatically drop the actual cost of tea to every American. But it wasn't about the cost of tea. It was about the ideology beneath it. Even if it's an insignificant tax, even if it's a tax that is so small, even if my actual standard of living is now going to go up or I'm just going to drink more tea and be more wired on caffeine than I even was before, the reality is if I allow any illegitimate tax to exist, then what's to stop the government from coming back next year and saying, oh yeah, now the tax on tea is seven pence. Actually, now it's 20. Actually, now it, it, it's an entire shilling. Now it's now it's an entire pound. The argument from the colonists was any illegitimate tax is, is something that has to be resisted, and, and they make this decision to resist it violently. Now, um, obviously not every colonist saw it this way. Some colonists were just very happy that they got some really cheap tea. But it's an examination. The reason why we, we examined it is from the beginning, one of the things that foments the American Revolution is certainly there's economic considerations, but ideology plays this very powerful role. The idea of what it means to be a free person and what rights the government has and doesn't have. Latter-day Saint believers are going to claim the same heritage to revolutionary ideas that Missourians are who are going to be exterminating them. Both are going to view this event in the past as something that demonstrates true liberty against oppression. 
But for one of those groups, they're going to be in the minority. And for the other of those groups, they're going to be in the majority. So in the future, as we're going to talk about the settlement in Missouri and the violence that takes place there, one of the backgrounds that we have to always keep in mind is that these are all Americans, all reaching back to the same ideological arguments of what is allowed. What does the Boston Tea Party teach uh, Americans? Well, and the American Revolution itself, that there are times that violent destruction of property is justified in order to secure wider aims. What is it? What does the idea of the revolution supposedly teach all Americans, on the other hand, that individual rights and property rights are more important than anything else? These kind of are in conflict. And Latter-day Saints are going to find themselves in the midst of that conflict with a whole added layer, a whole added layer of, of religious uh, conflict where it's not just that I'm not happy you're living here. I'm not happy you're living here. You're voting and I don't want you to vote. And also, by the way, you happen to believe in the wrong kind of Jesus with your gold Bible delusions. So as we move forward into that topic, I, we wanted to kind of lay the groundwork of some of these ideological motivations of Americans from the time period. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.